Thank you, Justice. Um, I tell you what, church, you have an awesome pastor. And I want to say this too about you that you're an awesome church to do what you have done to give him time during these last weeks on what he called parental leave. Um, that's just an incredible thing. Um, to uh, be able to get some rest, be able to spend uh, time with those twins and for them to kind of bond together. And, and I believe that as a result of what you've done, this church is going to be blessed. He's going to come back refreshed and there'll be um, a lot of continued great things that will be happening here at Bayou Tala. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. So we want to look at the life of Peter today. If I were to title uh, the message today, I'd call it Peter the Disciple. He wrote two uh, books there toward the back of the, uh, of the New Testament, and uh, it's 1 Peter and 2 Peter named after him. So on behalf of uh, Jesse and Caleb McBride, and my wife Pam and, and I from Relevant Ministry, we just come to greet you. Uh, as a ministry, we say thank you for your prayers and your support. You do that as a church, and we are so grateful for you and the many other churches that make it possible to do what we do. In fact, right now, there's training that's going on in the country of Belize. Because of COVID restrictions, we're not able to uh, travel, but in the time that we've been training, there are national pastors who've been trained enough that they're able to carry on the training. And right now, for the first time in Bengay, Belize, there is a phase one training that's happening, and there are three national pastors that are leading that training. It's been all day Friday, all day Saturday. They do church there in the evening, so they're getting in six hours of training today. And so right now it's happening uh, in, uh, uh, in Bengay, Belize. Jesse is tuned in, so we're able to do the online thing to connect. I've been able to connect the last couple of days, and this afternoon I've got some things to do to get back home and get online and join that training in Belize. Um, you've been a part of making that possible. In fact, back in September, you made it possible for your pastor to be able to travel to Belize. And he was a part of one of the trainings there. Your church helped us to be able to support uh, six or seven pastors in that training with the giving that you gave for that trip, not only for justice to be there, but also for us to be able to bring the pastors in of all who were there, there were about six or seven that really would be to your credit because with the gifts that you gave, you made it possible. So thank you. We come with greetings. We say continue to pray for us. Um, even in these times, it's just amazing how God is opening doors. Uh, in the last uh, 10 days online, I've been in Cairo, Egypt. I've been in South Africa, I've been in the Philippines, I've been in Ghana, I've been in Belize, uh, I've been in Brazil, 
I've been in Honduras uh, just in the last 10 days, couple of weeks. And so these areas, it's unbelievable the way that God is using uh, what uh, He has blessed us with at Relevant Discipleship in doing coach training and leader equipping uh, in, uh, in these countries as well as here in the States. So it's just um, exciting to us. We're humbled and we say we need your prayers. Thank you for being a praying church for Relevant Ministry. So, so today as we, as we think about um, what God might have for us in the Word, I invite you to begin to recall to your remembrance things that you know about Peter. So Peter, at the end of his life, wrote two books. And we see him being sort of a different kind of person at this time. How did that happen? I think one of the reasons is, is that he was a disciple. Uh, he was one of the early ones that was called to be uh, an apostle. Uh, he was part of the original 12. Of the 12, as he writes this book, he and two others of the 12 were used to write in the New Testament. Matthew and John were the others. And so um, these two books, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, are really treasured books for us as we think about our life. How is it that God worked through Peter in his lifelong journey as a disciple? And how does that correlate with me? And how might I find encouragement today from uh, Peter. So in the very first verse of 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Peter an apostle, so he was one of the original 12. He and Matthew and John wrote um, uh, books in the New Testament. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in this world that are scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so uh, he's writing to uh, believers that are going through difficult times. At this particular point, Peter is in Rome. And he's writing to believers in the area of what is now Turkey in churches and they've gone there because they're scattered. It's the persecution that's happening in Rome. So this was under the time of Nero. Uh, Nero uh, burnt down Rome, blamed it on the Christians, and he brought incredible persecution upon Christians. They were tough times here right now when Peter is writing about 61, 63 after, um, uh, uh, as far as 0063, not, not 1960, but back in the 60s, 0060. 63 is when he's writing here. And so there's unbelievable persecution going on. This is the time, if you're familiar with the Christians in the lion's den, that that was happening. So they would come to a house, and uh, grandpa and, and uh, mom and dad and the kids would be there, uh, Roman soldiers would come in and maybe drag out Grandpa, and he was going to be on exhibition that night at the Colosseum. And they would put him in the middle of the Colosseum, and they'd turn lions loose, and he would be uh, evening dinner 
for those lions. And there would be crowds in the Colosseum that would cheer that on. These are the kind of things that are happening in this time. And that's the reason that they are scattered. He gives another reference to these people in, um, in chapter 2 and verse number 15, if you look there, where he says in verse number 15, he says, uh, for it is God's will that by doing good you will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Let's see, I went verse number 11. He says, um, I urge you as aliens. This is where I wanted to go, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. So here in chapter 3, he's trying to give them perspective. This world isn't your home. The things that are going on uh, are, are things that are going to pass. This world is going to pass. And he talks about that in the second chapter, or in his second epistle. And uh, here he is giving them perspective that though there are difficult and challenging times, hey, listen, you are strangers and you are aliens. So this world, not only for them, but also for us, really isn't conducive to the Christian living. Just as a scuba diver that goes down into the water, staying in that water for a long period of time is not conducive to the physical body. And there's some equipment that that scuba diver needs in order to be under the water for a long period of time. And in the same way, in this world, how is it that we gear up ourselves so that we'll be able to continue on through? What battles do we need to fight? And what are the things that really matter? Will Peter give us some perspective and some help with all of this um, today as we look at these passages that he writes in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter? Both letters really have the theme in them of how to live. So how is it that we are to live in this world? Now it might be, as some of you are starting to bring up to your remembrance, things about Peter, things that you know about him over his, his, his life, that uh, you're wondering how in the world is it that he could write a book like this? How is it that he is the one that is there in Rome that's not only writing to the church there in Rome and the Christians in Rome, but those that are scattered into other places because of all of the persecution that are having? How is it that he is a credible voice for this particular time? So in the first book, 1 Peter, 16 times suffering is referenced. There's 10 times that it is referenced to believers having suffering, and there's six times to the reality of Christ being, having suffering and um, uh, treated cruelly and suffering. Look, if you will, at uh, chapter 5 and verse number 12 in, uh, in 1 Peter. In verse 12 he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. So think about that for just a minute. So if in this life, as a Christian, in this world, this world that is not our home, 
that we're aliens and strangers, if we're not having suffering, then that would be a strange thing. Peter is saying here, don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange about the painful trial that you are suffering. So does that mean that in this life, that we have something else to look forward to and that this is a time of refining in our own lives, trial and testing in our own life about who we really are as a believer and a follower of Christ. So Peter the disciple. One of the books that, um, that I've written is called The Relevant Discipleship Pathway. And uh, at the end of this book, uh, I share... Uh, words to a song that uh, is titled When It's All Said and Done. <clears throat> so this particular song is um, recorded by uh, an Irish uh, musician. I love the, the accent of the Irish. I like their songs, the... the um, the instruments that they use, the tunes that they play. It just has a beautiful, beautiful ring to it. And this particular song was written by um, a man called Robin Mark. And it's called, When It's All Been Said and Done. So I wonder for us, and I wonder for Peter, what are the things that are really important? We're going to look at Peter in his life as a disciple and at the same time, reflect just a little bit on our lives as a follower of Christ. What does it really mean to be a disciple? Is discipleship something that is a, a course that I take and it's a curriculum that I finish and then I'm done? I've been discipled, I'm a disciple? R really, how, how much do we look at it as a lifelong process? How much do we see it as a pathway? that it becomes a way of life for the rest of our life, and that it's never finished, that we keep on being that follower, keep on with intentionality of being more like Him, of practicing certain disciplines, of growing in our life, of being transformed, of each year being more like Jesus than we were last year, and continuing to do that to the end of our life. I wonder how much Peter got that as he was a follower of Jesus for the months that he was a follower of him. So how about for us? Uh, how, how do these words of this song, when it's all been said and done, just begin to echo inside of us? Here they are. When it's all been said and done, there's just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done, all my treasures will mean nothing. Only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time. Lord, your mercy is so great that you look beyond our weakness. You find purest gold in miry clay, making sinners into saints. And I will always sing your praise here on earth and ever after. For you have shown me heaven's my true home. When it's all been said and done, 
You're my life when life is gone. So in this first book, Peter, who was still on a journey, he was probably five years older than Jesus. So when Jesus started his ministry and soon after he became a disciple, Jesus would have been 30, he would have been 35. At this point, he's uh, somewhere around 63 or 64 years old. We know that it's the end of his life, though he maybe could have lived longer. But between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he's imprisoned. And the way that Jesus said in John 21 that you're going to die, he's in prison waiting for that death. So he's talking about some things that are reality in his own life. Uh, take a look, if, if, if you will, um, at uh, 2 Peter. And we see in Second uh, Peter and um, in verse number one, or, or chapter one and verse number 12, he says here, "So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you have. And I think it's right for me to refresh your memory. Verse 13 of 2 Peter chapter 1. As long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And so here we begin to see a changed heart in this guy Peter who is really pastoral. He really takes on a shepherding role in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter. He's just days away from going to the cross and history records that um, he was hung upside down. He requested that because he didn't feel that he was worthy to die right side up on the cross like Jesus. And he was hung upside down. So here he is just days away from all of that. If it was the Peter that we know in previous time, regarding the things that they were suffering or the persecution that they had, he might have said, just get over it. You know, we know the kind of guy that Peter used to be. When I think about that, the change in his life, how he was continually being transformed, that gives me encouragement in my life. So here, Peter, in the first, uh, uh, the first book that he writes, talks about hope. And we see that in verse number 3. He says, praise, this is 1 Peter 1 and verse number 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter is a book about hope. Now remember the times that these folks are going through. They don't know if a Roman soldier is going to come into their home one day and drag them into the Colosseum. But Peter is still saying, you have hope. 
Take a look, if you will, at verse number 13 of the same chapter, 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. We see hope one more time in this first chapter. If you go to verse number 21, it says that now that you have purified uh, yourselves by obeying the truth, you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you, let's see, uh, 20, I'm not reading 21. Verse number 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and your hope are in God. And so this first book is a book of hope that Peter writes. Peter is a disciple on a lifelong journey. Let's think for just a bit of some of the life lessons that he might have learned. And as we look at his life, let's think about our own life and the journey that we've been on up to this point. And in doing that, what are the next steps beyond right now of continuing to move forward? Go back to John chapter 21. This is right after Peter had denied the Lord. He said, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to the old life that I knew. And there were several of the disciples that followed him. <clears throat> we know that Jesus was on the shore and they recognize that it's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water, swims, and here's where Jesus reinstates Peter in John 21. If you look at verse number 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then a third time, Jesus said, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? At this point, Peter was even hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so three times he responds that he loves the Lord. Why was this so important? How is it that this particular event in John 21 moved him into the future. And we're going to see what that future is, but first let's go back just a little bit, flashback. Um, this is 25 years from when he wrote First and Second Peter, about a 25-year gap here from this particular occurrence in John chapter 21. Let's go back just a little bit more. If you go to John chapter 1, and in John 1, about three Years earlier, he first meets Jesus. Jesus is just beginning his ministry. Jesus has been baptized. He's been to the wilderness for 40 days. And <clears throat> so we have about four to five months right here in John 1 that I'm going to read after Jesus had been baptized. 
And John the Baptist says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There he is, guys. There's Jesus. And if you look with me at um, verse number, number 35, uh, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when they saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around, and Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, Come and see. And so they spend the day with him, and then they go back to John. One of those two was Andrew, verse number 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And so here about four to five months after Jesus' baptism, Peter the fisherman around Jerusalem, he lives up in Galilee about 70 70 miles to the north. He's a fisherman in Galilee, but he's down in the area of Jerusalem and he meets Jesus for the first time. This is the first meeting. And at this particular point, he says that he's going to give him another name. Look with me, if you will, a few months later. In um, Luke chapter 5. So Peter meets Jesus. He begins to be curious. And now as we look at the timeline of his life, in Luke chapter 5, we have about 10 months after his baptism or about 5 months after this first meeting. And this is up at the Sea of Galilee. Luke chapter 5. And so in chapter 5, and beginning in verse number, number 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats. This is Jesus who's up there to preach. Left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. They'd already been out. We know that they didn't catch anything as we are familiar with the story. He, Jesus, got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little into the shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all day and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets so they go out fishing again. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, they left everything, and they began to follow him. So this is about 10 months after Jesus' baptism, up around the Sea of Galilee. They begin to follow. Jesus at this time maybe has hundreds or thousands of people like Peter who are following. The 12 haven't been picked yet. So Peter has a wife. Peter has a home. Peter continues to live there in that home with his, with his wife, with his family. But he has a lot of interest in what's happening. He starts to follow more closely to this man Jesus who's out doing ministry. And time goes on, and we see in Luke chapter 6, we see at another uh, 10 months, so this is about 20 months or almost two years after Jesus' baptism, nearly two-thirds of his three years of earthly ministry, in Luke chapter 6, if you look there with me, and in verse number 12, here's where Jesus on those days went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So he calls all of these disciples. There, there may have been 20, there may have been 50, there might have been 200. He calls them, this is an important moment. And according to the information that God gave him in that time of prayer, he names the 12. And Peter is included in those 12. And so we see those names uh, listed. He, des- he chose the 12 of them, designated them as apostles, and he names those 12 in verse number 14. And then they go down out of the mountain. And again, I want you to see the chronology here. Next then, in Luke 6, we have what <clears throat> has been, become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches this Sermon on the Mount which would have been right at two years into his ministry. And I know that it's in Luke 6. I know also that it's in Matthew chapter 5. But as you put a timeline to it, it's two years. I want to ask you now, how helpful is it to begin to see that there is a timeline to the life of Peter? That it isn't all just one big thing that, boom, this is it, this is his life. How does that help us to see that in our life that discipleship is a process? And so each year can be a building year. There might be, like for Peter, some times that there's some discouragements in the past. Some things that have happened. But those things in the past don't have to bind us. I mean, Peter denied Jesus. He had that in his past. In our process, one event from the past doesn't define you. I hope that can be encouraging. So that from where you are right now, you like Peter can look at your past, the things that have happened, the life that you've lived, the good things that have taken place, the mountaintops. I mean, he was was at the Mount of Transfiguration 
with Jesus. Or the valleys of denial, getting off into the ditch. One moment didn't define Peter. Discipleship is a process. And that's why we see Peter being a different kind of person in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Instead of in the hard times that they're having, saying, man, we need to fight, we need to fight these guys. We need to fight Nero. Or we need to just get over it. He, he comes with the compassion of a shepherd and he ministers hope. The challenge in 1 Peter was all about believers being persecuted, having difficult times. The challenge for believers in 2 Peter was about the enemy coming as a serpent and bringing lies. And so 2 Peter is all about truth. It's all about knowledge. It's all about what is true. What are you, what are you basing what you believe on? Is it the truth of God's Word? He talks about false teachers that are beginning to come in. And so be careful who you're listening to. Be careful about what it is that you believe. <clears throat> be in the Word and know the truth of God's Word. And uh, live your life according to the truth. And so in an unbelievable, incredible pastoral way, he writes 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I'd like to close by looking at three ways to look at hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you'll turn there. Here's where we started and here's where I'd like to end this morning. First of all, it's helpful to understand what the word hope really means. It's the Greek word elpis that's all about the meaning of a confident expectation. Something that you can have confidence in. So it's not like in our English language that we would say, well, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. I've got plans. I hope it doesn't rain. But we don't know for sure if it's going to rain or not. So that's... That, that's hope in another way, where we're not sure. But the hope of the Bible, Elpis, that Peter is talking about here is that confident expectation. Faith has an ob or, or hope has an object. And so uh, in 1 Timothy 1 1, uh, Paul says to Timothy that Jesus Christ is our hope. In Colossians, Paul says, in chapter 1, verse number 27, that Christ is in you the hope of glory. So with that, what are the three hopes that Peter wants us to see and walk away with today as sort of a takeaway and an encouragement in our life? If you look at verse number 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So number one, Peter's saying here, our hope is a living hope. It's alive. We've got something that we can find encouragement in. We've got something that we can draw strength from. Our hope 
is a living hope. And so, um, I, I, I like in verse, uh, the end of verse number two, where he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then where he talks about living hope in verse number three, he says, in his great mercy. So this is how it is that <clears throat> the living hope is available to us as we understand grace and the peace that follows. As we understand mercy. Just a short definition of what grace is, is, is receiving what we don't deserve. That's living hope. Mercy, in a short de definition, is not receiving what I really do deserve. We cry out for mercy. We know what we deserve. We know that we're guilty. We know that we've sinned. But we cry out for mercy. And we don't receive what we really do deserve. <clears throat> Jesus died for us. We deserve what He got on the cross. But because of His mercy, we have salvation through Him. We have a living hope, grace and mercy. Another word that could be a part of these two words, and a lot of times things come in triads, it's the word judgment. If it was that we were to receive judgment, then we're all doomed. Grace and mercy do away with judgment. So if we don't have judgment, we know all of the implications when we become a judge. And so because God does not judge us, when we judge, we bring judgment upon ourselves. Difficult and, 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 and really horrible things when we become a judge. So grace and mercy and we have a living hope. And so for Peter, I wonder as he's writing this, I wonder if he remembers in Matthew 26 when Jesus predicted, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, no, I'll never do that, Lord. But it wasn't too much later and he did it. He could have had that in his past to haunt him. But he was free. Because he knew grace and mercy, not judgment. I wonder if it is while he was writing some of these things about the hope that we have. And here he is in a prison, in, in a prison cell, about to be taken out to be executed. I wonder what it was like for the other people that were in the other cells around as Peter's there. And, and he, he is, is such an encourager. He has such a heart of a pastor. And he's speaking this message of, of hope as he's also writing it. I wonder what it was like to be there. I wonder about the past that kept coming up for him and how it was that he was able to overcome that when that happened. So we have a living hope. The second and then the last one. The second one is in verses 4 and 5. We have not only a living hope, but we have a lasting hope. Look, if you will, at verses 4 and 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And into an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed at the last time. So our hope is a, is a lasting hope. And then lastly, our hope is a looking hope. Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action and be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So Jesus is coming again. And when we have a living hope and we know that our hope is a lasting hope, we have a looking hope, looking for Jesus to come again. This world is not our home. Jesus is coming again. We are strangers and aliens. We are just sojourners in this world. And so how are we going to live? How close will our life mirror Peter? Not that we have to measure up to anybody else, but as we think about his life as sort of a model, if there is anybody that had ups and downs, I can identify with that. If you can identify with that, you can be encouraged today. Ups and downs, but it's not over. One event in the past doesn't define who you are. <clears throat> there <clears throat> is hope. And so with this, uh, the words to the song that I began with, I want to close with these and then uh, lead in a prayer. So these words are, how does it echo inside of you right now when it's all been said and done there's just one thing that matters did I do my best to live for truth did I live my life for you when it's all been said and done all my treasures will be nothing only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time Lord your mercy is so great that you look beyond our weakness and find purest gold in miry clay, making sinners into saints. And I will always sing your praise here on earth and ever after, for you showed me heaven's my true home. When it's all been said and done, you're my life when life is gone. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, I thank you for our time together today. I thank you for your word that endures forever. Bless those things that are truly truth and your word today, and may they continue to just echo and bubble up within us. May the Spirit of the living God do that. Father, we thank you for Peter. Thank you for um, his life. Thank you that today he, he, he shows us a timeline of events in his life and the way that he ended. Lord, help us all to end well. Help us all from where we are realize that we're not bound to the past because there's grace and there's mercy. We can be set free. That doesn't define us. Thank you, God, that 
we can move powerfully into the future and be used of you. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for you. We love you. As we go from this place, help us to be mindful, to be followers on a journey that are growing, becoming more like Jesus, and giving you glory. All these things we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Blessings, everyone.